0: Yo, what's up, this is Alex with Gray Area. In this interview, you'll hear from West End, a New York house DJ and producer absolutely slaying the scene. We'll talk about his early days DJing for parties in high school, how a year without gigs inspired him to build a community of producers, and how his production style continues to expand and evolve. Be sure to like this video and subscribe for more interviews like this. Cool, man. How are you? Good, how are you, man?
1: I'm good, dude, just uh, working on some music. Uh, I was it was my birthday yesterday so I didn't do any work um so today I'm kind of like playing catch up and
0: shit but happy birthday thank you Appreciate uh it. did you did you do anything fun or did you keep it low-key I'm a pretty low-key guy for
1: my birthday usually like uh I've always had like always uh, my birthday's in the summer so it was like when I was a kid like never like crazy birthday parties or anything so I like to keep it low-key but I do went to like dinner with like a bunch of friends and stuff so it was good it was a good blend of
0: both nice well uh thanks for taking the time out to talk to me today appreciate it yeah man of course um i first came across you like in 2017 i did a write-up on uh one of your audiophile excel xxl releases for magnetic mag uh back for gyrate yeah oh, back wow. in the day um there were so many artists that came out of that record label too. It's kind of incredible to look back and be like, they they broke like like all of these big tech house and bass house artists, they all released an audio file first.
1: Yeah, it was funny because um like back then I feel like a lot uh, future house like exploded in the US and you had dudes like Chami and like AC Slater and Oliver Heldens, and then um dirty bird started getting like pretty big in like 2016 and so like a lot of like producers were like kind of like doing this a little bit more like wonky tech house vibe like there really wasn't like the kind of more proper european sound moved over and audiophile was like one of the few like american labels that was like looking for new artists like, signing artists to that kind of like dirty bird esque sound yeah like another one was like perfect driver yeah um like this ain't Bristol box of cats. Like that was like all like 2016, 17. And so yeah, like a lot of people released an audio file. I remember Steve Darko did a bunch. Yeah. Um, Black, Black V-neck, like some of their first, uh, Black V-necks
0: for some of their first uh, tunes. Actually, I wrote up a couple of those tunes too. Some of their first yeah. uh, Jay Wara too, uh, was one Jay of the, Wara, like, yeah.
1: I think of like, like Vanessa, maybe, I don't think Vanessa did anything with Black V-neck, but, uh, I mean, with audio files itself, so, um, but yeah, it was like a whole classic Dylan
0: Nathaniel, that's big. that's right, and a uh, free fall too.
1: Um, uh, hot fire, like a bunch of people, are like
0: uh, yeah. So cool. Well, I just I just kind of wanted to share that with you because I, yeah, as crazy. I was like looking, yeah, I was looking back through all of my stuff, and I was like, oh wow, I like I was like I know I remember your name from back in the day. So I've been following you for a while. So it's just cool to look back on that, and you know, it's kind of cool to see how far you've come too. Um, you know when you look back on like having that perspective that really wasn't that long ago it was only like four years ago yeah like it it feels like
1: forever ago though it feels like a lifetime ago
0: it does and so much has happened for you since then how does it feel to look back on that like kind of um you know humble beginnings and see where you are now and you know just kind of appreciate where you're where you've come how far are you? I mean, I think, I think
1: that's pretty much it. It's just like, yeah, like an appreciation, like it's so easy to get caught up in things and numbers and blah, blah, blah. But then like, just like looking back and, you know, at the end of the day, as like a music producer, like the only thing you're really, you know, going against is yourself and kind Mm -hmm. of comparing where you are now to like where you've been. So as long as you see progress and you're happy with the way, um, you know, you've kind of changed from that time point, I think that's all that you can really do. And, you know, when I look back at some of the like 2017, 2018, like, you know, even just like musically, like looking, listening to the music now and like, you know, I'm like a producer nerd, like, you know, I obsess over like mix downs and things right. like that. And uh, just being like, oh, you know, I've definitely gotten way better from that. Like, I know it's true. Like, it's not just like a perception thing um, can be really nice as well.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And kind of on that point, like you started your own community of, of producers. So, um, you know, you have your discord, you have, you do production lessons. And before I like move further into that, I kind of want to understand, like, how does it feel to be able to like reciprocate that, that feeling of like helping people realize their potential? Yeah. I mean, it's,
1: it's amazing. And, um, it was, it was all because of the pandemic. I won't, I mean, we can go into it a little bit more, but you know, everyone kind of pivoted during the pandemic, right? Right. like can't play shows. Like what do we do? Um, I think a couple of people like messaged me for like a production lesson. And I was like, I've never done anything like this, but sure. Why not? Like I have nothing else to do all day. Like, uh, let's just try this out. And, uh, it's just something that I kind of like fell in love for and, and got a passion for is just teaching other people and, you know, helping other people and really seeing them take in things and improve. It's just, it's a, it's a great feeling. So, um, you know, when I started production, music production, which is like 2012, 13 is like when mm. I first like just got into it, like initially, yeah, there were resources online, but nowhere near as many as today. It was like, you know, a few YouTube tutorials, like maybe like one production school. Now you have like, you know, a hundred different production schools online. You have a million different YouTube channels. You have, patreon you have discord you have like so many resources so i think it's just like amazing to be a producer today you have so much to get better
0: yeah it's so much easier to i mean it's harder but it, but it's not because you have so many resources so you have to sift through them to find out which ones are good um yeah but that also means like you know you really have no excuse to not be really good at what you do when you first start putting out music
1: yeah, and uh, it's crazy because like I'll have people in my discord that will, you know, a big thing that I do is like feedback for people on their music. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they can just like DM me a song and be like, hey, you know, what do you think of this? What can I improve on? And some people will message me and they'll be like, oh, you know, I just started a production like three months ago. This is like my first finished track. And I'm like, oh my god like this is like for the first song you ever like bounced out of your DAW like this is insane and I remember my first song I still have it on like an old SoundCloud and it's like so much worse and everything is like (laughs) and I'm just like it's almost scary because I feel like people these days that like they're just going to be next level because the amount of resources they have and they're just getting good really quickly like you have people produce for a year and then they get signed to like big labels and I'm like wow it's
0: pretty yeah it's it's it is it is crazy i mean i started producing in like 2001 and i gotta say for like probably the first five or six years everything i made was terrible um
1: because course, there was... that's the way it usually is you know it's yeah
0: like... um and you've had some like success success stories like from that boy with the bag just signed a uh a tune to Dim Mac. yeah i mean yeah. that's that's huge i feel like and i feel like he just started like around the pandemic like with yeah, you yeah
1: yeah we did uh we did a few lessons he was like one of the first ones i did a lesson with i think um and he didn't even use ableton which was the interesting thing he was just a hustler he he used logic and he was just wanted to um he didn't care he wanted to like you know learn and take in things and apply them to his um production flow and you know that guy's just a hustler he uh, he's he- Some people you can always see them on social media everywhere, and like those are the people that usually get a lot of success because you know the more you want it and the more you kind of expose yourself out there, the the easier it is for people to remember you and um, you know throw you a bone
0: once in a while. Absolutely. Did you have any mentors when you were coming up?
1: You know, I did actually. I was in high school and there was another kid from New York City, and he was a Moonbaton producer named Luke the Duke. Um, His name's Lucas, and he lived not too far from me. And I remember he used Reason, because I used Reason instead of Ableton. And I would go to his house. I only went a few times, but go to his house. I paid him $20 an hour. I would sit next to him in a chair, and he would just show me some stuff, like, you know, how to do a couple, like, tips and tricks. And, like, you know, we worked on, like, a remix together and blah, blah, blah. I think he's like a singer now, and he did. He has had some cool features. His name is Lucas Ariel on Spotify.
0: I feel like um, I know that name.
1: Yeah, he. I think he went to Icon Collective for a bit, and he's still involved in the music business. But he was like the first kind of one to uh, help me out. And you know, I think as a no matter where you are as a producer, there's always you're always going to have like mentors and stuff. Like mm-hmm. even like big guys that I know now, um, you know, they have people that they're kind of giving them advice and looking up to it. And uh, that's why like, it's never, you know, unless you want it to be like a solo kind of thing, you know, it's a uh, production is a very collaborative um, thing and, you know, people are always gonna be helping you out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's like rewind a bit cause I want to talk about like your yeah, yeah. musical journey. Um, yeah. When did that start? How did you, how did you like first discover that you wanted to create and even further back than that, what were your parents listening to that helped influence your musical DNA? Um, yes,
1: yeah, so I started. I'm um, 27, um, so I was like the CD generation into the iPod generation, right? Um, and I never owned like a ton of CDs, but like you know, I was a big hip hop kid growing up, so like a lot of Jay Z, Eminem, 50 Cent, like New Yorkers, um, yeah. Lloyd Banks, like, and I didn't own that many CDs, so like the the ones that I had, I would listen to like over and over again, like you right. know, front to back, as most people did. Um, so I was like, yeah, like elementary school, middle school, I was like very into hip hop. Um, and then I think like, yeah, middle school to like high school, I started to get into a little bit more this is like kind of like Lime wire days like i had an ipod or an iTouch or whatever and i could right. you know download songs and put them on so you know i started getting more into like rock and alternative and just like pop music in general like whatever was kind of popular at the time um you know i i, I went to like a lot of bar and bat mitzvahs in new york and so like that's <laughs> like the first like kind of like party experience is like you have like you know 113 year olds all dancing and grinding to like (laughs) little John and Sean Paul and whatever but like you know that's kind of like I was like in the pop music and then a little bit of rock but like I was never like I never played an instrument or anything I was never like very like listening to music all the time kind of it was more like in the car on the bus to school Um, you know I didn't go to many concerts when I was very young and then in high school um that's kind of when i discovered electronic music for the first time and it was mostly through youtube just um this was like 2010 2011 so like i remember justice was like really big for me i listened to their album cross front to back and i was like this is badass because it kind of has like that rock and roll feel right. to it but it's um you know it's pretty much all electronic um daft punk a little bit and like all like the Bloghouse guys like that was like my thing back in the day like mastercraft cookers um bart b more bloody b. bloody Be Roots. i'm obsessed yeah. with i have a bloody b. Roots mask that i ordered for 40 bucks that like I no way raves yes i i think i have it somewhere still but i have like the venom mask um and like that's how i went to like my first shows too so in new york there's a place called terminal five yeah and um destructo would throw parties there which were like the first hard parties it would be kind of like a one night like maybe four artists um like i saw like misafilstein his first show ever in the u.s was there uh, um, saw like dylan francis like i was like very into like Matt decent as well like diplo um and that's where i'm like that was the first time i got like obsessed with music when i was like this is like it wasn't just like listening to music in the car i was like this is gonna be like my personality kind of like this right. is like Cultural thing, and at the same time, growing up in New York City, um, you know, I went to a big high school around three thousand kids. And you know, if you want to throw a party in New York, there's no like, no, no one really lives in like houses. So you like, you have to, and you can't really throw like parties in like an apartment building. Right. Like, you can, but you're gonna get a you're gonna get the cops called on you immediately. You can't fit that many people in an apartment. So, you know, kids in my high school, what we do is we would rent different venues out around the city um and the track team specifically did this and so they would you know rent like a little space maybe use like a fake id to pretend they're 21 and then right. throw like a party there with like a dj it was pretty much like a rave um you know lights and lasers like shitty amazon lasers and <laughs> um to like Mackies or whatever and that's like i would go to those and I, I had a friend that was a dj and i was like i want to do that like i want to be I listen to all this music. We're all dancing the Afrojack and everyone right now. Like I want to be the one behind the decks, kind of controlling the energy of the room and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so like towards the end of high school, I kind of got into DJing. Um, I know this is a lot now.
0: I'm like, kinda, No, it's like, okay. This is what I want to hear, this man. Is like, this
1: this is this this is the background. So I got into DJing then, and uh, I had a, a DJ buddy that was like my mentor kind of and he showed me. I had like a little best controller i think or something like 130 bucks it would plug into the laptop um and i did a couple of these parties and like that's when i was like all right this is like really like addicting like performing and this is like amazing and you know i want to do everything i can to do more of this and um you know the cool thing about my high school is that it has a lot of notable alumni and one of the alumni is robert Moog, who made the Moog synthesizer what's
0: Yeah, yeah. I went to
1: like a a big high school in New York. It's called the Bronx High School of Science. Um, A lot of, uh, we have like a lot of Nobel Prize winners and a lot of just like, like Neil deGrasse Tyson went there. uh, It's like a big public school in New York. It's like a prestigious public high school. So in New York City, you get a lot of people. But yeah, Moog went there in like the 70s. And his daughter ended up donating this um, room as a digital music lab. So what it was, was like 30 IMAX all with reason on it, all with like a MIDI keyboard in front of it. Um, and they had a course that was called digital music lab where it basically kind of ran through how a DAW works, how to make music on a computer. Right. Um, you know what a synthesizer is like all these kind of like things. And the, I remember I took that and I was like, you know, I got super into it and I was like, making terrible beats but i was like you know i was functional on the computer i could i could do this so i kind of got into it at the end of high school yeah and then it just became like my hobby at that point and i was like this is you know i'm gonna go to college and i'm gonna get a degree but like this is like the thing that i love to do outside of that this is like my number one hobby pretty much
0: uh, when did you like I know you didn't like immediately get into like being a career musician because nobody does. You did other Uh things before you you worked for a tech company before before you be before you before you started like full on into it. Like, how did you make that transition? Where was like this? What was the signal to you that I want I can do this as a career for the rest of my life?
1: People ask me this question a lot, um, especially like other producers. They're like, oh, this is my situation. Like, do you think I should do this or do that? And, you know, um, I think it it really depends on everyone. Everyone's situation is different. Everyone has, you know, different risk levels and blah, 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 and and security nets. Um, For me, I graduated college and I wanted to move back to New York where I was from. So I moved home to my apartment there and lived with my parents for a few years. And yeah, I got a job at like a tech company um, in New York. I, um, I worked there for like two, two and a half years. Then I was kind of like, this was like the audiophile day. So this was right. 2016 to towards the end of 2018. Um, and it was pretty much, you know, work, a, work during the day at night, make some beats, you know, do social media, maybe play a couple shows around the, like maybe 10 shows throughout the year. In new york maybe a little bit locally kind of but like very small things um so i did that for like two and a half years and you know towards the end i started getting a few more bookings like nothing crazy but just like enough where i had to like take some vacation days to like you know make it happen
0: yeah
1: um and you know it got to the point i think a lot uh, the big turning point for me when i was like all right i'm gonna quit this job and i'm gonna just focus on making my music a hundred percent and you know working on my artist brand um i was getting a lot of like support from other djs so like mm. justin martin was playing a lot of my music like i just had gotten something signed the dirty bird um i just felt like there was like this real kind of momentum there and i've looked and i felt like i really believed that i could you know make this project bigger and and turn this momentum into something bigger. And, um, you know, I was still living at home at the time. So I was like, all right, even if I don't make that much money, I don't have to pay rent right now. Uh, yeah. Just, you know, and that's a big thing because like a lot of people can't do that. And I am so blessed that I was able to do that because I knew that, you know, I was not going to make as much as I was doing this other job, but it was kind of like an investment into myself. And um, yeah, I just was like, you know, I'm gonna quit. I'm gonna do this full time, and uh, it, it's worked out since then. And you know, if it stops working out, maybe I'll go back to tech. But right, you,
0: <laughs> right, you never know.
1: I, Not, nothing's guaranteed. So
0: no, nothing is. But I feel like, um, and I talk about this a lot with artists too. Is um, there's this power of belief um, that every artist has, and that anybody with any amount of success has. Like, I mean, any. Uh, we all know we're blessed to work in the music industry and get paid for it. At at any level, if you yeah. collect any money for working in the music industry, that's a huge blessing. But yeah. anybody who's successful has this power of belief, um, and like, how important has that been to you throughout your journey?
1: Um, I think it's for me. It's a little bit more subtle because I, you know, I don't. I'm not like like a very like physical verbal manifester You know, I'm not like uh, some people are like that, and like, yeah. I, I at the beginning of the year i always try to write down some goals that i want for the year and um you know but i do have a confidence like i know these you know last year there was like a bunch of like festivals i wanted to play and things like that and it's like i know i'm gonna do this you know it's just like a matter of time and it's um i think i watched this interview with solardo where they were uh talking about um they had like this crazy world tour and they were like yeah, we knew from the beginning, we were going to do all this because they just had such strong like belief in themselves and they knew the, you know, their talent and their project. And I think, you know, it's kind of cheesy, but like, yeah, you kind of can manifest it if you, if you really do believe. And, uh, for me, it's a little bit more subtle. Like, I'm not like doing these chants every morning. I don't have like a whiteboard with like everything, but, right. um, you know, if I ever, and this happens all the time, like, you know, you get doubt, you get like a little imposter syndrome, the, the little devil on your shoulders, like yeah. you're a fraud Like you're not, you know, and then like, you kind of, you're like, no, I I've done X, Y, Z to get to this point and I'm going to do X, Y, Z more to get to the next point. So, um, it's definitely there. Yeah. That.
0: Power a little bit more practical about it than most. Yeah, uh, yeah. That yeah. I, like. I rather get
1: my. I'm the kind of person that's like I rather get my head down and just work on things than to you know plan too much or to because um, again you you never know what's going to happen. Every day is a new day. So
0: absolutely. I know. Um. I I saw during the pandemic you did a lot of fishing. Um. Is that something yeah. that you've always done? I just saw. I I saw it was an interesting shift to see your social media to shift from like because nobody had gigs um so it was interesting to watch people's social media either shift or disappear and yours shifted into this like complete outdoors thing and it was really cool to watch because um you know i live in a city and you can't really go outdoors you can't hit like nature that often and you were like traveling all around and doing that like how where'd that come from
1: yeah so like fishing was something i've always like loved because uh my family had a house in long island which is connected to new york and right. it's like uh, all surrounded by water and there's like a lot of really great fishing over there so i always did it as a kid and then i kind of like stopped i feel like a lot of hobbies that you have as a kid you kind of stop when you're in high school and you're like oh it's not cool anymore like i just want to hang with my friends and smoke right tea, blah, blah, blah. so i kind of stopped fishing for a bit and uh, i went away to college in north carolina and like i actually did end up doing some fishing at the end but like for most of the time i was just like let's party let's like study whatever you know um, yeah and then I moved back to New York and, you know, finally I had some money from like working and, um, some more free time. I was kind of adult, like do what I want. So I kind of got back into it. And it's funny. Cause like, you don't think of like New York as like fishing, but like pretty much the whole city, almost every borough is like surrounded by water. Like, right. uh, you know, Manhattan's completely surrounded by water. There's fish everywhere. You have the ocean right here. You have Long Island, you have New Jersey, you have like a ton of different spots. So, um, Yeah, I have a good friend, Kyle, who's like kind of like my impromptu tour manager, and he has a car. So pretty much during the pandemic, all we would do is like we had nothing to do all day. Everyone was on unemployment. So we were just like chilling and we would just drive around, go fishing all the time, um, you know, film it and fish in the city, fish on boats. And it's just fishing is like a very for me, it's like a very addictive hobby. I would say other than like music, which is my job now, but, you know as a passion like fishing and like cooking are probably my my second and third um and yeah like now all i want to do is like when i'm not touring and not making music is like i just want to be on the water fishing it's like it's a very relaxing activity it's great to get outside of like the studio and just be you know out in nature and um yeah and like you know now i'm like the fishing house dj guy so
0: (laughs) It's pretty cool though. I mean, it's like it's it's something that really grounds you too. Um, like it's important to have a balance of like because there's so much like excess and partying and like loud loud things going on in this world. So it's nice to have a hobby that that grounds you in some way. And also you get to yeah.
1: eat and that's yeah, there's definitely the fresh fish and fresh seafood all the time component, which is amazing. But um, most of the time I don't even catch anything. So yeah, it's just being out and like enjoying the beauty of the ocean and it's silent and uh yeah it's really amazing and the cool thing with fishing is that you can pretty much do it anywhere you know anywhere there's water you can go fishing so you know i haven't done it yet but i'm definitely going to as i play shows like make some days off to go fishing like you know maybe go to miami a day early and go do some crazy trip there or you know hopefully like around the world like go to australia do some fishing there like it's something i can kind of bring with me anyway anywhere so um i'm very excited about that
0: that's super cool i have a yeah. one of my old bosses used to do a fishing trip in mexico where he did deep deep sea fishing yeah it's crazy. um and did some crazy stuff there and also i live in san francisco i'm allergic to seafood so okay like all water animals so i can't like i can go fishing but i'm not going to touch it um yeah, yeah, yeah but i know like my fa- my my mom my grandfather used to go fishing around here all the time so it's there's good fishing in
1: san francisco I know people do in the in definitely in the bay um and if you go north a little bit on the rocks and stuff there's like yeah. some really cool stuff like in northern california as well so it's
0: cool yeah, super cool. You also like you mentioned cooking too. Um, is that something you've always done, or is that something that was also a product of the pandemic?
1: Uh, not not necessarily the pandemic, but probably just like being an adult and like not being in college and like ordering food all the time. And I was like, right. oh, I actually really enjoy this. And uh, yeah, it's just like very relaxing. It's very satisfying. I, there's a lot of like overlap. I feel like with music and cooking too. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of like experimentation. You know um like i i think about this a lot when you're making like a song it's like you know you can have all the ingredients of the song but the proportions of them it's kind of like mixing you know it's like what what do you want to highlight in this dish are you are you highlighting this thing and then all these other flavors are there to kind of like support this thing it's kind of very similar to music like you have a vocal you have all these like instruments like kind of supporting it so i don't know i see a lot of like metaphoric overlap between the two and uh it's just nice to cook your own food. It's way healthier. It's nice to see it go from nothing to a nice dish, and you know, cooking for other people is also amazing. Just it's like so, you it's know, one of my favorite things too. I totally agree. I love that. It's a, it's amazing. It's like what's what, what's a better way to show love than to like make someone a nice meal? It's like it's hard to you can't put in words
0: what that means. So. Beautifully said. I you I think <laughs> you put it in words quite nicely. Yes, <laughs> uh, sir. So. Um, so I want to, I want to like read something to you that you, that you tweeted a little while ago, um, around two years ago, I stopped caring about having one specific sound and emotion to my music. Um, I think that's an interesting thing to say for, for dance music. Cause I feel like people in dance music often like have to pick a lane or feel pressured to pick a lane and you have a lane that's house music, but I've definitely noticed your productions have over the last year have gotten wider. You have like some. You have like big piano house song, and then you have like stuff that's dirty, dirty baseline. You have stuff that's like definitely like in the tech house lane. How does it feel to like expand on that? And like, w- what inspired you to say, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna do whatever I want now"? I think when you're
1: a kind of like up and coming artist and you start to have some success, there's a temptation to repeat the formula over and over again because you. There's a couple things. One um it's worked for you already and so you're you know you want to keep doing that two I think there's this this misconception um mm-hmm. that it's easier to kind of get bigger as an artist if you just kind of um tunnel vision focus on like one specific sound or thing and so for me I remember I got signed to like I had one track on like Dirty Bird And I just kept like, I was like, oh, I got to get another one on Dirty Bird. I got to do this. And like, I was thinking too much about like, you know, making this song for the one, this one moment in the set, which is like this like peak time kind of energy thing. And, you know, it was fun. And that's still what I love to do. You know, I love kind of writing those, excuse me, those more um, bangers and kind of peak time sound. But um, it gets a little boring after a while. And I feel like you you're not, you don't really practice a lot of, um, skills. It's like, you know, if you're playing basketball and you're just shooting like three pointers the whole time, like, yeah, there are players like that, that, you know, serve like one role kind of, but like, that's not who I want to be. And I want to be able to, you know, make music that you want to listen to on a, on a road trip and that you want to listen to in a club and that whatever, you know, what whatever it is. And so, um, during the pandemic, I like, I kind of like told my management, I was like, you know, I want to start, kind of at least branching out in these directions and trying some more things and um, that's how a couple of the productions that came out over the last year ended up you know happening with like um got some vocals from some amazing uh, singers and was able to like write like a piano house song with that which is yeah. awesome and you know i'm still able to incorporate that music into my dj sets you know it's not they're not like peak time stuff, but a lot of times, like I end up like closing with that or opening with things. And right. uh, I think collaboration is also like another amazing way for, you know, an, an artist to kind of go outside their comfort zone a bit. And when I'm now, when I'm thinking about collaborators, um, you know, I'm not trying to just work with someone that does the exact same thing as me because then, mm. you know, they're not really bringing something new to the table. I like collaborations where it's, you um, people from two kind of different areas but then they make this thing that no one's ever heard before um so you know that's something that's always in the back of my mind it's like well what would this person bring to the table that i can't really do myself
0: yeah that's a really great point um and it's been interesting to watch that happen and like i hope to see more of it because it's uh you know i definitely heard your dj sets too like it's you know, you can't bang it out all the time. It's nice to have rises and falls and even even an hour or two hour DJ set. It's nice to have hills and valleys.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, is like I've seen this with a lot of DJs, is like they view themselves as this type of DJ. I play this kind of music. I play all my only my own productions or most of my own productions. And the problem is, is that when you're not a huge DJ, you can't control all the um All the parameters, right? So like, yeah, you know, a lot of times like you get booked in a certain club, but you're not like DJ Snake where you're going to bring in your own production and you know exactly the vibe and everyone's going to be going crazy. You have the best set time. Everyone's fucked up and it's going to be crazy. Like that is not the case when where you're at or I'm at. So for me to play like the same type of set in every room all the time, it's just going to... I I feel like I'm not being the best DJ I can be so like that's why I like to kind of like in my sets like vary it up a bit like you know sometimes I'll play more disco if I'm um, maybe like a little bit later in the night and uh, it's my own show you know or um, whatever it is I like to kind of like vary it up and so I'm not I I can't do that like one move the whole time like we're just playing bangers like I like to kind of have some like you said like valleys and uh, mountains there.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're you're not always going to play at like at, at 12, at 12 at night. Sometimes you're going to play at, yep. at 10 or sometimes you're going to play at like 2 in the afternoon. Yeah,
1: exactly. You know, and so you have to be ready. I mean, but some people, they don't, you know, for some DJs, they'll play the same set at 2. For me, maybe it's just like, you know, if I have like an empty room and I'm opening something up, like uh, I, I just, it, I can't play banger. like, it just doesn't, I, I got to read the room. Some people don't read the room. That's the thing.
0: Well, I mean, and I, I think that's a commendable, that's something to like mention too, for, especially for somebody as young as you are, uh, relatively young. Um, that's like an important distinction to make because there's always this debate on, on, I'm going to call it DJ Twitter um, yeah. or, you know, DJ social media. Oh, should you play it? Should you play to the room? And there's even big teachers are like, play what you want. And I mean, I've been around for a really long time. I feel like there's something to be said for somebody who knows how to open. knows how to like lay the foundation for the night that's like the it's oftentimes it's more important the opening set is more important than the headlining set because you're the one who's getting people in there
1: yes and i think a lot of times it's the uh the battle between the ego and like what's best for the party and um you know i think it's a balance you know you you know um you're you're an artist yourself and you want to um you know do your artistry up there and you don't want to compromise too much because you have your who you're playing for but you do have to compromise in some sense um unless you are this crazy headliner and then you can just do whatever you want um but it's just kind of like uh nature of the game and you know You have to kind of do your dues and do your rounds. Yeah. Um, So like even now, even though, you know, I'm able to play a lot more kind of headline sets, like I still, you know, every, before every set, I think about what's the room I'm playing, what time of day am I playing? Like what's, where am I, what city I'm in? I make like a special playlist just for that. And I try to predict kind of what I think is going to be a good flow of the night, you know? Nice. Nice.
0: Well, um, we're getting close to the end. I always like to end on the question, what excites you about the future of dance music?
1: Okay, well, we're we're leaving this terrible, I think we are leaving this terrible pandemic. Right. Um, it seems like now there there's some scary news of it, you know, maybe not leaving as fast as we think. But right. as an optimistic person, I think we're leaving what was probably the worst year and a half for electronic music ever because there's literally zero shows for a year and a half. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is all, um, you know, as much as you can do things online, I think the essence of dance music is in in a club, in a festival, at a party, you know, over live speakers, that's it. So I think we have this like amazing future ahead of us where, you know, people are just so happy to be back on a dance floor. People are so happy to be with their friends again and, and listening to music and um you know in the last few months i've so much this year especially like the second half of this year like so much good music has come out and i think a lot of what producers have been working on during the pandemic um has kind of like started to manifest so i think there's this just like this energy and aura that's that's kind of everyone is excited everyone wants to go back um, everyone's gonna be working twice as hard. And so I think we're gonna have like a little bit of a cultural renaissance for electronic music over the next um, few years. And um, I don't know, I'm very optimistic for it. For, for house music, we're in this kind of like weird state where it's, it's becoming very commercialized and very popular very quickly. And so it will be interesting to see how the next few years work. But house music is, you know, it's something that I think is always gonna be around. It just has so much soul and, you know, passion in it that even if it does kind of blow up a bit, there's always going to be um, some amazing house music and amazing communities around that. So I don't know. I'm optimistic. I'm excited. I'm taking it day by day. That's my kind of spiel.
0: I love to hear it. That was well said. And I always like it when somebody like, you know, is, is hopeful um yeah. that's nice to hear especially coming out of the year that we have and I agree with you I mean like it's it was it was shit but it there's I think we're we're definitely entering like one of we're, we're de- entering like a turning point for dance music where it's going to be there's going to be a cultural renaissance we're it's going to be crazy for the next few years
1: yeah I think there's also a lot of really cool intersection right now with technology and dance mm. music yeah. and um just like you know, it, it feels like dance music, electronic music is starting to become the soundtrack to a lot more things than it was. And it's really kind of, I don't know, the EDM days were just like, uh, it wasn't the prettiest transition. But I think now there's just going to be a little bit of a better um, community-based kind of transition where dance music is going to get a lot bigger. And it's not going to be like it kind of was before where it was very corporatized. And I don't know. We're becoming Uh, a scene
0: again, uh, as opposed opposed to just a um, business, dance, dance music business. It's still a business, but I feel like I think, you know, us being stuck on Twitch for a year and having to like being forced to interact with each other in a new way really turned us back into a community. Yes. Yeah. And
1: I think um, especially not being able to, you know, be with each other now, people are a lot more appreciative of that, a lot more kind of respectful of that space itself and so um yeah i think good things are coming
0: absolutely well thank you so so much for taking the time out to talk to me today really appreciate yes, it
1: this thank- is an awesome chat
0: yeah thank you um yeah it was really fun and you know i wish you all the best and we'll be in contact and next time you're in san francisco um you know yeah let's let's connect let's link up. Let's link yeah up. i think i'll be there
1: um, the plan is definitely to be there around New Year's. Um, I think I'm doing something there then, but hopefully can do something beforehand. That, like I can come for like a day or two earlier and, uh, you know, see a bunch of homies and stuff, but definitely will keep you updated. So
0: yeah, please do. All right. Thanks cool, so man. much. All yeah, right. Cool. Let me know if
1: you need anything else for me on email or whatever.
0: I will. All right. See you, bro. Right. Bye.